Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Job 38 Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. This podcast is a compilation of devotional resources and music shared by Wells Pastors and those who support our teaching. My name is Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Trinity Lutheran in Nina, Wisconsin. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number 120. We'll begin with God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 38, verses 34 to 41. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? God is finishing his comments about his control over the weather and the sky. These things aren't controlled by mankind. And anyone who doubts this should look at the at, at recent news in the United States um, about weather all over the country. Um, now, from this point forward, God will question Job about the animal kingdom. After a handful of creatures from different parts of the wild world, he will finally arrive at two monsters, Behemoth and Leviathan. But first, uh, he talks about a couple of birds, verses 36 to 38. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Both the ibis and the rooster were regarded as exceptionally good at predicting changes in the weather. The Hebrews regarded the the rooster as being able to predict the important autumn rains. An inscription from the 8th century BC depicts a rooster in the sky with jars of water about to fall as rain on the earth. Remember, he said, who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? Now, the ibis, which is a kind of a long-billed water bird, was used by the Egyptians as the head of their uh, false god, Toth, the god of wisdom and writing. And the Hebrew word is similar, Tuhoth. The idea here is, if these birds were so wise, who gave them their wisdom? For that matter, who can actually count the clouds? Who can make it rain? It doesn't matter if mankind has tried to seed clouds in the, uh, to rain in the desert. We can't really control the weather. We're not God. Verses 39 and following. Do you hunt prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander around or wander about for lack of food? God combines the lion and the raven because he provides food for both of them. I'm fond of the word teraph in verse 39. It's prey. Any food that's sort of plunked down in front of lions that they tear into and eat. I like that word. It's also used in Psalm 111 verse 5, where God provides food or prey for those who fear him, meaning you and me. Now in verse 41, the the word um, for food is tzayid, provisions or food taken on a journey. Now this word also appears in the cryptic proverb, Proverbs 12, 27. The lazy man does not roast his game, his tzayid or provisions, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. When the animals 
and uh, the hungry, or when animals rather are hungry and starving, does mankind provide food for them? It's God who takes care of them. When Samson was hungry, God fed him through a lion in Judges 14. When Elijah was hungry, God fed him through ravens in 1 Kings 17. God takes care of our needs. He is the one who plunks down the tariff for us and who provides us with our tzayid. God takes care of our needs, and it's our place to pray, praise, and give him thanks. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. Up next is a song by Koine, Psalm 50.
a devotion on 1 Peter, shared by Pastor Mark Falk. 1 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, a rock of offense. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Uh, New King James Version. As Christians, we do, not, we do our best not to offend people. The biblical idea of offense begs for a little explanation. To offend in the biblical sense has nothing to do with body odor or hurting someone's tender feelings. True offense causes a little one, little either in age and stature or in faith, to sin or to fall from faith. If we are, if we are guilty of this by our bad or careless example, we would be better off drowned in the sea, so says the scripture. But what about Jesus? Here the very rock that believers find to be the precious cornerstone of our faith is rejected by the builders, the leaders of the Jewish faith in his day. He is still rejected today by the great majority of people who have heard his name. They are offended by him in the true and biblical sense of the word. The very things that cause and build faith in us cause and build nothing but resentment and unbelief in others. Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. When we preach or proclaim him correctly, he will still be exactly this. In some, the Holy Spirit will create a great sigh of relief, a sigh of faith. They have lived in the darkness of unbelief, unsure of their place before God, frightened of the day when they meet him face to face, or just nagged by an unknown angst, German for anxiety, that they cannot quite put their finger on. They desire peace, but a successful career, a great family, a nice home, even a life of charity that reaches out to help others cannot produce peace. But then they find that there is peace. They are sinners, which their conscience was somehow already telling them, but a bit too vaguely. They are sinners in real ways, really sinners. But Jesus is also a savior for really sinners. Search the Bible and you will find that the blood of Jesus cleanses liars and murderers and adulterers and even hypocrites of sin. If the thief on the cross can be with me, as Jesus said, today in paradise, what sin is too great for forgiving? But there are others whose natural resistance to repentance, to real acknowledgement of real sin, stands in the way. They want, as we all do, a Savior who pats them on the back. They may have flaws, but only little ones. They just need a little help to get over the hump, a little boost on the ladder to heaven. God cannot save, and the blood of Jesus shed for all will not help such as these. To all who want to hold on to some of their pride, find some personal hook on which to hang their self-esteem, Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Talking to them about sin is offensive. They will be offended not only by Jesus, but by every Christian who tells them the truth they do not want to hear. In the end, sin cannot be sugar-coated. It is such a deep and offensive part of each of us, offensive to God, that only bowing before the cross of Christ can remove it. Only Christ can remove it.
What a shame that the rock of our salvation becomes a rock that crushes and condemns the unbeliever, who, by the way, hates the true church that teaches and preaches such offensive things. Let us not gloat, but rejoice in the mystery that the Holy Spirit was able to overcome such unbelief in our hearts and build our lives on the rock that is Jesus. Let us pray for such work in those that we love and know, and even in those uh, that we do not know. This segment of To Tell the Story is based on Genesis, chapters 13 to 22, shared by Pastor Luke Italiano. The boy scrunched up his nose and spat. It's dusty. Abraham nodded. I don't mind the dust. Why not? Mom hates it. She doesn't always remember the promises. Neither do I. Tell me, Dad. Abraham closed his eyes as he trudged on. The Lord said to me, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Before I was born? Long before you were born. How long? Twenty-five years. Twenty-five years I waited for God to keep his promise. But he did. He sent you. Abraham paused beside, beside a rock. He coughed in the dry, dusty air. Wait, Isaac. I need to rest. It's a big mountain. Why didn't we bring the servants? This sacrifice is for you and me. And the Lord? Yes. And the Lord. That promise doesn't have anything to do with dust. Huh? Oh, yes. The dust. The Lord kept making promises. Lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Isaac looked up the incline. That's why you like dust? Because God said you're going to have as many kids as dust? That many descendants, yes. And I'm the first. Well, other than Ishmael. Yes, but he... He is not the child of promise. You are. You should have named me Dusty! We named you Laughter instead. 
There was no laughter in Abraham's eyes now. And now the Lord kept his promise. Here I am. Abraham shook his head. He has not kept all his promises. Not yet. All nations on earth have not yet been blessed. Someone is coming later. Someone from you. When you are older and, and married. Or, or perhaps from your son. Or his son. The Lord has not kept all his promises. Not yet. Didn't he say something about stars? Abraham looked toward the sky, bright with the morning sun. Yes. Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Like dust and stars. They stood together as Abraham regained his breath. Father? Yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. But what happened atop the mountain is a story for another day. Brothers and sisters, as we enter Advent, remember that for so long we waited for God to keep his promise. As you look ahead to Christmas, yearning and longing to look into the manger, wait. As you clean your house and you see the dust, think of the promise to Abraham. As you look up and see the stars, as Rich Mullins said, remember that one star was lit just for you. Yes, we have a God of faithful promises, and he has kept all of them. And this story is true. We'll close with a song by Cross to Glory, The Storm. to me.
me The one who stopped the sea Where were you when the hymns were made And earth came to be I feel all alone Adrift in the storm The waters roar the surging waves And I'm still alone The storm rages on Lord, what have I done That caused the pain and agony Has just been done What have you to say A lump of lifeless clay The power to form the father shapes and you are but the clay Could you even know the weight of my soul left less and cold Do you know do you know, can you hear me call to you? Answer me, can you hear me call to you? Answer me, lost and alone, lost and alone, lost and alone, crushed by your I felt it all and still went on and nailed it to the tree. I am the living Lord. You have my faithful word. I hold you now forevermore, Lord of your soul. Trust in the Lord. You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 120. For more information, visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. This episode was first shared in May of 2017. We encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us.